This is Strange Assembly episode 154, Bramble. You say that like we don't normally ramble. Not ramble, bramble. Oh. Apparently, the dog depicted in our Doomtown Reloaded preview that went up on Monday, the Faithful Hound, the dog's actual name is Bramble, and it is the dog of Wiley and Olivia Jenks. Wiley Jenks being one of the other two Newtown New Rules cards that they've previewed. But I'd first like to point out that it is totally your fault that I... You didn't read the rules correctly? Did not read the rules correctly, yes. Because you knew that we had a preview, and you should have said Chris. Share it with me. Yes, but you should have said Chris. You have to show me the preview, because I know Doom Down much better than you, and you might screw up if you don't let me write about the preview. And then I'm never on the podcast again. (laughs) Uh... I'm Chris Stevenson, and that is Jay Earl. Hey. And uh, this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us at strangeassembly.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and it's really swell if you do, because when you subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or write reviews of the podcast on iTunes, that helps uh, other people find the podcast because those are things that itunes uses to determine how low to bury us i'd say how high to place us in the rankings but let's face it we're about a thousand spots behind all the magic podcasts and the dice tower and and all that Uh, yeah so earlier this week we did have a preview from the First, Doomtown Reloaded Saddlebag. The Saddlebag is called Newtown New Rules. Our preview was Faithful Hound. This is the second sidekick card. And as a shootout ability, the Faithful Hound can make a chew toy out of one of your opponent's goods if you pull low enough, kind of like Legendary Holster. Unfortunately, I forgot that not all... Not all hearts, hearts are, goods. are goods. So yeah. I talked about, well, when hex decks are battle, you, you can eat those fourth ring hexes. Not so much. No. You could eat a spell scroll, right? I have actually no idea what a hex is. Is there a physical component to it? No, 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 no. This is, this is an L5R. The, if you read the rules, a hex is in the guy's noggin. That's why he can't trade it. Well. That's, that's seriously in the rules. I'm not making this up. The hex is in the guy's noggin. That's why he can't trade it. Did did we not already establish that I had missed the part or forgotten the part where hexes work differently than goods? Uh, so, the Faithful Hound seems harder to use than Blue Tick because with Blue Tick, you can just be playing a Law Dogs deck and say, oh, I know my opponent's going to have wanted guys because I'm going to make them wanted. And you know you're going to be able to use the dog. Or my favorite use of Blue Tick, play a a Sloan gang and be like, I'm going to be able to reinforce my guys now. (laughs) Because you can go chasing after yourself. Yeah, because it just says, move this dude to the same location as a wanted dude. Doesn't say theirs. Yep, that'll, that'll work. This one, your opponent might worry about it, but 
Yeah, I mean, hearts just right now are the not being used for... Yeah. Yeah. Goods slash spells are the least played suit. Hearts are really being used to round out your draw structure. There are very few that are getting played for what they do for you. Yes, and the ones that are being used to round out your draw structure are usually low because most Sloan... Shootout decks are low, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because the Sloan and Morgan... Not Sloan and Morgan. Sloan and Law Dogs decks are low, yeah. So that's that's the Faithful Hound. I had an, an interesting weekend this weekend. So we were going to play D&D, and... And my wife and the kids were fled the country. Were going well. They were or they fled were the go- state. Well, they, no, no, they were staying in the state. They were going over uh, to Savannah to see my wife's sister-in-law. So they were gone, and then we ha- we did not have D and D because, as you you may recall, the other week when Mike uh, had to drop out in the middle of the podcast. Just mysteriously disappeared. I don't know how much editing you did, if you got any of the fire alarm involved in the podcast. I'm assuming not. I I, I did not involve the fire alarm in the podcast, but we did mention this is why Mike's not on the podcast anymore. So the the apartment above him actually did catch fire. Yeah. And the sprinkler system went off and then leaked down into his apartment and so made it uninhabitable. So... He was moving, that dropped us below the minimum number of people we needed to play D&D, so I had this this very strange weekend where I had nothing scheduled. And so I did very valuable things like do write-ups for Doomtown Reloaded previews, so instead of just saying, here's a card, I said, here's a card, let me screw up telling you how to use it. (laughs) Good times. Yep. I got to write some other stuff, I got to sort L5R cards. My L5R cards are such a mess. Everyone's are. Yes. Don't don't act like you're special here. <laughs> no, no. I'm just about at the end of Jade Arc in my reorganization and sorting of all these piles of nonsense. So all I have left are of Jade Arc is the Clan Warfoils and Spirit Wars. I guess if we count that as Jade Arc, I guess it is. Like, yeah, part it's of it's gold legal. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. So, whatever. That's where I, I currently stand on that exciting project. So, I actually don't have a, a terrible number of game things for that, because we did the weekend before that, we went I went away for my anniversary, and then before that, we had D&D, which will, again, we will eventually get around. I just I wanted to get more sessions more, in before we yeah. really had our, our podcast on, on D&D. I do have some apps to talk about, but first, I know that there have been several games that you and, and one of your other groups have gotten to the table you know, repeatedly lately. So why don't you tell us about how some of those have gone, Jay? Okay, sure. One of the games that I picked up at Gen Con was a game called Cash and Guns, which is Pretty much perfect for my group, because we're a larger group at varying, you know, strategic levels. We'll go with that. <laughs> so, um, Cash and Guns is just, like, super light. Like, one of my friends, when we played it at his house, his six-year-old was able to play with us, which was, you know, that's a six-year-old. It's it's silly, but it was fun. Um, 
basically the conceit of the game is that you're a group of bank robbers, jewel heist, whatever, and you're now divvying up all of the loot involved in your epic heist. But you don't really trust each other. So basically every round, you hold each other at gunpoint, you have a nice little Mexican standoff, and so everybody who doesn't, you know, decide to fall down and not potentially get shot out of this Mexican standoff gets a chance to divvy out the loot. And you do this, I think, eight times. Some people will get shot. You can get killed. At the end of the game, whoever is still living and has the most loot value wins. And it's got these cool foam guns that you get to point at each other. And another reason it's really good for my group is we have, you know, the cell phone guy and the gabbers. And it's a quick game. Everyone is doing stuff all the time. You do not have time for somebody to pull out a cell phone for distraction and so forth. So, yeah, I I really like it. Cash and Guns. Cash and Guns just came out with the second edition this year. Is that the one that you got? That's the one I got is the second edition. They were, I think that's what they were doing was they were selling it at Gen Con was the second edition printing with a promo card and a t-shirt. And is the t-shirt fancy or interesting? It's basically the, like, box art Uh, as a t-shirt. It's not a bad t-shirt. Yeah, well, and the, uh, and the, for the, the 2014 edition, the art is all by John Kovalik now, right? Yep. I didn't realize it wasn't before, but yes, it is all his art. If you're familiar with him, the, it's Dork Tower, right? Uh, yeah, Dork Tower was his very first uh, claim to fame, although he did all the art for Munchkin, too, right? Which has probably made him far more money than Dork Tower. Eh, I don't like Munchkin. <laughs> yes, but you acknowledge it has moved a lot of copies, yes? I refuse to acknowledge its existence. Uh... <laughs> Just kidding. I dislike Munchkin less than I used to, Partially because the last time that I played it, they had apparently they had changed the rules since mm. my edition of the game, so that you started with like twice as many cards, which made the beginning of the game right. not stupid. That's good. That was always my experience. Was oh, I got nothing. I can play first turn. My buddy got all like all of these things that he's effectively level thirty-seven. Okay, I'm gonna kick in the door. Cthulhu, I'm devoured. He kicks in the door. Potted plant! Hooray! Yes. It's still total random. The quote-unquote balance of the random would be if somebody starts to get ahead, everybody can just kind of pound on them. So because you start with more cards, you're not as reliant on literally seeing the potted plant in order to defeat anything. Because that was actually the part that I thought was the worst about Munchkin, was that you could potentially sit there at the start of the game and have turn after turn after turn after turn where you could do nothing. And that's much less likely now. Now, what something that I think more commonly people complain about with Munchkin is that it can never end if people are always jumping on it. But that's probably just because you don't have anybody in your group who decides that they want the game to end and helps the guy. <laughs> right. But, uh, I had a, a different game of a, had a similar issue where we just reached a point where 
there was way too many screw you cards that it was impossible for anyone to win. So there's there's Munchkin. Neither of us is really recommending this game. But no. a lot of people play it, so I just you yeah. know. I ended up getting, I guess, three new apps, and the reason I got it was because Playdeck released a bundle. And they they have eight iOS games, I believe, and they bundled them as one had Lords of Waterdeep and Agricola, that was one bundle, and then a second bundle had five, I don't know if it had all of the six others, but it had at least five of them like in a card game bundle, and I already owned all of those. And then the final bundle had all eight, and the, the so the eight game bundle is half off of the list price, and then it's also prorated based on the number that you ha- how many of them you have and what their relative prices are. Oh, that's good. So it ended up being, I considered it eight bucks to get Agricola and Lords of Waterdeep, and I also got Food Fight thrown in. I think mm. basically. So I will start with Lords of Waterdeep. When this is going to be very short, I'm assuming you've played Lords of Waterdeep. If you haven't, you should. It's a really great basic worker placement game. I think it's fantastic. I think that the iOS app did a very good job implementing it. The game is straightforward enough and the board is straightforward enough that you can easily follow it even on an, an iPod Touch or an iPhone. You don't have to have like this big old iPad to really be able to play the game. I Probably the only thing that I wish it could do a little faster and maybe... You can do this, and I just didn't figure out how. Is that if, if you're doing pass and play, I wish you could turn off the feature that replays all of the other players' turns. Mm. Well, like, because Katie likes Swords of Waterdeep, so I, she and I can just play this, and that means that if if she and I are like kind of talking and passing the, you know, we actually did the whole. Oh, we're waiting for food. Let's let's try to play the app while we're sitting at the table. We already know what the other one did because we're talking about it. But then every time you pass the app back, it replays the other player's turn. I wish there was a way to, to turn that off. But that's really pretty minor, and that's completely irrelevant if you're just playing it you against the AI or if you're playing it you against somebody else out there on a the network. But I, it's a great game. The iOS app implements it well, so that one I would recommend. What, what else do you got, Jay? So another one that I picked up at Gen Con was Zolkin, which we've played in my group several times now. So one of the things that's interesting, we still haven't actually played anything else of the expansion, but we have had a fifth player that we've needed to break out the fifth player part of the expansion, which I don't know if you've... I don't think you've done that yet? It's kind of weird. I have not played Zolkin with five players, and I have not used the five five player stuff for my copy of Tribes and Prophecies, which is what the the expansion was. But actually, the first time I played with Tribes and Prophecies, even though there were only four of us, the guy set out the other spots like it was five players. And I guess... I don't know if he didn't realize that you won't, that only is for five-player games. Did, or Did you put out some of the blockers like when you have fewer players? 
Well, no, there were four of us, so we didn't put out any... No, that's what you're supposed to do, is if you want to play with those spots, you can, but you're supposed to put out blocker spots like you do with fewer... Oh, no, no, no. It was just ah. adding the extra spots. Okay. Because, yeah, I thought the the extra spots, I think, added an interesting dimension to it. Cause you, we've talked about Zulkin on here before, right? Uh, yes, yes. But yeah, I, mean, so I, won't, yeah. I won't go too much in depth. It's basically, it's a worker placement... The big thing that makes it different is it's got these gears on it where when you place your workers out, t- as the rounds progress, the gears turn and your guys get to better spaces. And then when you pull them off, they're taking the action of the space. So you ideally you want to put throw your guy out early, let him ride the gear for several turns before you pull him back from a really good space. So what we're talking about with this fifth player expansion is that it's added... In the base game, there is one special spot, which is the starting player spot. You go to the spot, you get starting player at the end of the turn, and you get that worker back immediately. This is adding three more spots like that, where you play them, you immediately get the benefit, and you get your guy back at the end of the turn, but they're random-ish, where you've got these little tiles that you put on the big main gear, and as time progresses, they come off and influence what that spot is. What you can get out of it. So I thought that was an interesting mechanic. It isn't really interesting how they've... It, I have Again, I haven't played the other two pieces of that expansion, but it's interesting how much they integrate everything in with those gears and how they're used. Yeah, I think it's really good. I'm kind of, eh, I don't know about the part of it that you're talking about, the the fifth player stuff. I guess it, it could depend on the group that you're playing with, because it, it does add an extra bit of fiddly with it the... Def- it definitely does, and even with it, at five players, there was a lot of blocking going on, so you do need the, the block like you're supposed to if you're playing it with fewer... Yeah, it, it's one of those things I I would like to play Zulkin at least once with five players. I'm not sure how good that's going to be because usually with games like that, you know, your sort of worker placement, your best player counts are three or four, and then five just starts to take too long, and two, usually the board isn't crowded enough. Now, Zulkin, unlike some games, Zulkin does have constant adjustments up and down for the number of players. And really, four is the the spot where you don't have to adjust the board at all. Even if you go, if you go down to three or two, you have to you, know, you have to fill up spots on the wheel. So it, it's sort of a simulation of other players taking up those those spots. But that's that's okay. That that works out fine. But yeah, the the other two parts of tribes and prophecies are well, the tribes and tribes. the prophecies. Yeah, yeah. So the, there's the fifth player part. Tribes is factions. I think that's the best part of the expansion because it really gives you something it, to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pl- player powers are are really great for adding replayability to a game. It it really makes it something distinctive. Yeah, they give you some extra power. There's one faction that starts with more workers, uh, and then but then it costs them more to feed the workers and. Really bad things happen if you can't feed them, so right. it makes them play differently. There's one that lets you kind of skip up higher on the track, and uh, one that lets you play on one track and pick up like you were on the other track. 
cool. Yeah, because I, I think one of the problems with it is we have we've now played it enough. We've sort of reached a sort of consensus of this is the strategy to pursue. So it becomes a game of block each other. Whereas if we play it again, we'll add that in, and that'll get into okay. Now you have a different viable strategy to compete. And prophecies will help with that too if you're if you're finding that to already become a problem because basically what the prophecies do is that the game's divided into quarters. And so at the end of each quarter, I think, it will reward you for something like having crystal skulls or for having done this or having workers or whatever. And you can get penalized if you don't have enough of them. So it can provide extra incentives for players to to behave in different ways than they normally would. You can't just pursue one of these strategies where you kind of just don't accumulate anything over the first half of the game, but kind of setting up your position, but then you explode. Right. In the second half, I mean, you could still do that, but now you're going to hit negative points probably early on. The other thing that it, it does is that in each quarter of the game, it will usually shut down, shut something down. And that will, if I recall correctly, that's usually tied in to what the bonus is. So, like, you have to plan ahead and look and see, like, in the third quarter of the game, I'm going to get rewarded for having Crystal Skulls. But in the third quarter of the game, I cannot take Crystal Skulls. Forces you to invest earlier, that sort of... It, so it, it can add more strategic planning and just more pushing you to behave in different ways. Sure. I still like the factions better because the factions vary things up with, I think, virtually no complexity creep each player can just focus on their one power and they don't have to worry about this sort of excessive long-range different planning which can potentially trip people up different gamers have different complexity level where it kind of becomes more than they want to handle and right you start start getting overwhelmed too much is going on yeah yeah i still think zoken is is great so the second game that I wanted to get out of my play deck bundle was Agricola. I like Agricola. It's a good game, obviously. It's the same game on the app, but this app I was not really enchanted with. I found it much harder to follow what was going on on the app than I did in Lords of Waterdeep. Now, partially that's just because Agricola is more complicated than Lords of Waterdeep. Right. But it was just kind of hard to to scroll back and forth. You've got to move back and forth over this big field. When you start having more a higher player count in Agricola, you have more and more spots to place on, and that makes it harder to keep track of everything, especially since the spots... I don't know what portion of the spots, but a lot of the spots accumulate things over time, so you right. can't just know what they are. Right, you have to know, oh, how many are built up there? If it's got one, it's not worth going to, but if it's been building for a while, now that's a much more tempting spot to go to. Yeah, and and I think the probably the biggest thing that made it harder to there was much harder to grok at least for me on the app than on the board game is the minor improvements and occupations you get at the beginning because mm-hmm. at the beginning of a game of Agricola you get a hand of 14 cards basically. 
Yeah. And so you have to sit down and figure out, okay, what, what do I use? What are their combos? It's just a lot harder to go back and reference that on the app than it is with a grip full of cards. Right. I mean, with the app, can you sort them? I did not see a way to sort them. They're clumped into occupation and minor improvement, but... Right. I mean, that's... That's sort of my thing is with Agricola, I, I get focused on the board, so what I'll often do is I'll sort like, okay, I'm reasonably certain this is the next card I want to build. I'm going to put it on top so I can focus on the board and be like, oh, right, minor improvements. This is what I need. Uh, yes. <laughs> Not have to re-examine them all again. Yeah, I'll, I'll usually sit down at the start of the game, look at the ones that I have, go, I am never building these. I am never learning this occupation. Here are the ones that are ones that I'd kind of like to get early on, and then and then right behind that is one that is a late-game occupation or late-game improvement or something, like maybe it's right. just points, and so I can have that kind of in the middle, but yeah. And then you've got another array of cards that's got all the major improvements, and I guess in, I mean, in Lords of Waterdeep, it's not like you don't have cards. You've got the quests that you have, you've got the quests that are out on the board, You've got the intrigue cards in your hand, but your hand is rarely more than like three cards at a time. Also, the with Lords of Waterdeep, at least as far as the quest, that's sort of you know part of the focus. So you're constantly thinking about them. Whereas just the way the modern improvements and the occupations work, you can just. I mean, I've had games where I've not been able to play one of the, those two types. Yeah, and when you look at the and the display that they have for the quest, without even zooming in or anything, if you're if you're looking at your little set of quests or at the quests up in Cliffwatch Inn, you can read without zooming in or anything what the requirements of their quest are and what the rewards of the quest are. Now, I mean, there's a plus if it's if it's a quest that has something other than you know here are some cards, here's some money, here's some points. You have to zoom in to see what the ongoing effect of a plot quest is or something. Whereas in in Agricola, you can't tell anything about the cards without zooming in on them. And they're all and right and they're all they all have text. Or you know, none of it's just almost none of it's just get X in an easily symbolized way. And and part of that's just the nature of the game, but I was kind of surprised at how difficult a time I had playing it on the app. I mean, I have Kalis on my iPod, and that works okay, except for the fact that I can't figure out how to use the builder cost reduction. And I have Lahav or Lahavra. I should know my French better. Meh. And that's pretty complicated. I mean, that's at least as complicated as Agricola, and that Seems to pretty much work over K. I've, you've got, I've got the nice little display at the bottom. I can see what everything is. I don't know. Yeah, so Agricola still like the game, but I... The app, not so much, yeah. Yeah, the, I just had a very hard time with the the app. Yeah, well, that, that's one of the things with apps, is you can very much... You can take an amazing game like that and just not execute quite well enough... And then, on the other hand, I mean, I've heard people say that they will not play Ticket to Ride in person anymore after playing the Ticket to Ride app. It's just that good, so... Yeah, well, one of the things that I, yeah, I've heard specifically about that is that 
the AI, it plays so much faster than these other idiots that are sitting <laughs> around the table with me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired of waiting for them. I hear, I'm pretty sure one of the things you have left is Agricola adjacent. Am I correct? Yeah, that's, the, I was just going to transition into that. So that's the other one that we've been playing quite a bit of lately is Caverna, the, I don't want to say sequel to Agricola, but I mean, everyone is calling it that, I think, because it is, you know, it is. same designer and, well, it's, it's not the sequel in the same way that, anyway. So yeah, I mean, it's, we've been playing that a lot. It's really good. I mean, I mean, I feel like there are very few problems in Agricola and what there are, Caverna gets rid of nicely, in my mind at least. As cool as the the minor improvements and the occupations are, and, you know, letting you have a plan to go from, they are just so swingy. I mean, there are some just outright amazing ones and some outright bad ones. So you can win or lose... I mean, I've had that where you just win or lose the game on the deal of those cards. Whereas, by having everything out, Yes, there's now the potential to be blocked, but I've very rarely seen too much blocking. Well, I mean, you want some amount of blocking, right? That's that's the primary form of interaction in a worker placement game. True. But, I mean, it's not like, oh, I'm blocked over and over and over again. Usually what I'll see is, oh, darn, turn three, you're going the strategy I wanted to be going, so I'm going to have to change my strategy but it's, I mean, that's another nice thing is there are multiple viable strategies for points. So, like, one of the things with Agricola is if you go just heavy on one thing, you cap out. There's a limit to how many points. Whereas with Caverna, I could get 8,000 cows and get just a giant amount of points for doing that. Okay, I can't actually get 8,000 cows. That's ridiculous. But... You're not capped. You can just go all in on one thing. There's still the same type of, not the same amount of punishment for diversification, but it's... or punishment for failure to diversify, I should say, but there's also not the punishment for going all in. Yes, it lets you focus. It doesn't force you to spread out in the same way. Yeah, you still have a minor penalty for completely ignoring something, but... Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of interesting things to do, like the whole adventuring thing, just the way that that twists the game on its head somewhat. I mean, I have friends that swear adventuring is broken, and that's just because they don't quite get it, but it's a really interesting thing where basically you're getting, in a worker placement mechanic, you're getting more things by placing one worker, but they're less effective than any of the other spaces. So you really have to balance that diversity versus strength of what you're getting. So yeah, if you plan it right, you can get really powerful effects out of that, especially because at the high levels of adventuring, there are some unique effects in there, but you have to heavy hit that to actually get those effects. And I've seen, I had one game where I went 
heavy adventuring and lost big against the guy who never touched adventuring. So it's not like it's a requirement to win. No, I I think that doing what the other players aren't is a big part of it. If there are three players and you're the only one adventuring, that's really good for you. If there yeah. are three players and two people are fighting over adventuring and you're just and you're the one not running around somewhere else, that's probably good for you. And then yeah, very heavily on identifying the combos and then acquiring them in the buildings is yeah. a lot. Since it's a feed your worker game, that is very much a game where the sooner you can set up your feeding mechanism and have it be solid and locked in, the better you are because once that once you've got that going, that you don't have to be spending your time feeding your workers, you can just be spending your guys to get points. So yeah, you've been liking uh, Caverna, and I think you are in the majority in uh, the, yeah. the strong majority in preferring Caverna to Agricola. Yeah. Taking a strong position alongside everyone else. Sometimes everyone is wrong. Sometimes <laughs> everyone is right. I, you know, what you gonna do? So my last new thing that I picked up in the play deck thing, and I guess I, I should point out. So I feel like just for those who are paying attention. So food fight was the last new thing I got in the the play deck bundle. Now. If you know what Playdeck stuff is, that means that, yes, I actually already had Flux. Because I remembered Flux being terrible, but it was like a dollar. And I thought, well, maybe I'm misrecalling it. So I, I paid a dollar for it, and you know what? Flux is still awful. Uh, I mean, I would never buy a Flux app. Flux, to me, is one of those games where you're playing it with a bunch of people who are not gamers, who don't care, who just want to, you know, be silly... And so it's a nice table talk game. It's not a game that you're like, I'm going to win this. It's not a game that is, the game is fun. It's a game that lets you have a fun experience with your friends. Can't I just play Munchkin or Balderdash or, like, anything? Uh, no, you can't do that with Munchkin. Munchkin leads to stabbing each other. But yes, you can play other games that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's Munchkin, not diplomacy. I... Right, that's why I said stab, not poison. <laughs> but anyhow, so I got Food Fight. I guess I should preface my comments on Food Fight. So my first introduction to Food Fight, if you can call it that, was at, <laughs> at the Gen Con that it was released at, which was three or four years ago now when it came out, and uh, it was Cryptozoic, and I just remember their, they had a lot of signage up for it. The concept of this game is sort of like you have armies of food, so like there's general chicken and private pancake and that sort of thing. It, it wasn't General Zoe's chicken. No, I think it's just I think the card was just general chicken. I what I mean whatever. And I saw the signage and the advertisements. I saw the, just the signage for this, the general concept of oh look, it's food dressed up as armies. And, like, I saw the art style, and I saw the concept, and I said, I don't even want to know what this game is. <laughs> so I just don't even want to know. So it's sort of the inverse of this year's Gen Con, where there was whatever that castle thing is, where we saw all the signs, and was like, oh, this is cool, I wonder what it is. Still no idea. Ordis Regni? Yeah, I still don't know what that game is. 
I, I find that, yeah, like I said, we finally figured out the name, but... Yeah, sorry, sorry, Ordis Regni marketing team, your stuff looked really cool, I have no idea what you are. <laughs> but, you're right, okay, so, but that's just sort of just my stylistic preferences, but, okay, so Food Fight came with this, so I sat down to play it, each round, you have a hand of cards of food items, and you will be fighting over some number of meal cards. And the number of cards that are out, it depends on how many players there are. And so you don't necessarily have three, and you could have two breakfasts. And right, There's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? But you might have two breakfasts, or a lunch and a dinner, or two breakfasts and a dinner and no lunch, or, or whatever. Elevensies, second breakfast. No, no, it's just breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And each of those meal cards is worth a certain number of victory points. So what you do is you look at the array of cards in your hand and you assign your army to you know, a certain meal or portions of your army to a certain meal. I don't know. You assign all of them all at once, secretly, and then once everybody knows where everything is going, then you're kind of flipping up to reveal the results of, of what you've assigned. And you get a a table mint, like a peppermint thing every time you win or are tied for the win in a particular fight, and then at the end of that battle, whoever has the most peppermints wins that meal and gets the victory points. First of ten victory points or whatever wins. The meals are worth from, I think, something like one to three. So you're usually going to be playing several rounds before the the game would end. Eh... Obviously, the you know just the theme and the art was what kind of made me just ignore it when the game originally came out. The app does a, a fine job of implementing it for what it is. It's not really something that I'm going to sit and play. If you find the theme amusing, I that would probably go a long way towards differentiating it positively in a field of just random card games of various sorts, but. That's Food Fight, which I've played only only in the app version from Playdeck. Do you have any other new and exciting things you've, or new and not exciting things that you did recently? We've recently just been playing old games repetitively. I mean, like, not this past weekend, but the weekend before, did a whole bunch of Settlers, which is always fun slash annoying. <laughs> Yes. Well, it was just—it was one of those situations where I'm sort—I'm of, somewhat the outsider, and then I'm also being brought in with a reputation as the quote-unquote good player, which uh. means instantly nobody is trading with me, which is really sucky in settlers. If you've not played it, yeah, I mean, it's, it doesn't matter how good you are—you cannot win settlers if you can't trade. Yeah, I am not a not a big fan of settlers and. I think the biggest reason is for the game to work, you really have to be trading in a sensible sort of way. The table has to be, not just you personally, but the table as a whole. And that's so hard to mess up. If you have people who will only do crazy trades and... Yeah. And out of all the sorts of... Analysis paralysis is one thing. It drives me up the wall when I have to sit there for like five minutes while you negotiate a trade then like you don't actually then do. 
Yeah. Oh my god. Well, and also you you just get into the problem sometimes of just, I mean, one of the games of it just I think it was the wheat. The wheat numbers were never rolled. No one had wheat. So the only way people were ever getting wheat was by trading in four for one or the people who were able to get over to ports better than that. But you had had to trade with the bank. There was no wheat. I just think that Ticket to Ride is an order of magnitude better. Yes. As a, I mean, I think it's a better game, but I think it's also much better for the, that whole gateway game function. It's it's very possible for somebody to get completely cut off in Settlers of Catan. Like I build my road in a certain direction, and then somebody else swoops in and knocks off the spot, and now I'm you're just kind of dangling, and you have to go in some other direction, and you're just so far behind already, and you're just done. And the only way you would catch up is if somebody traded favorably with you, but people don't do that. No. And there's just a lot more randomness in it, too. Just the... No, this, yeah, I guess but... that can actually help an, exp- an inexperienced player, but you've got somebody who re- you actually realizes probability, and it's like, oh, yes... It's much better to be next to sixes than next to threes, but then everybody just keeps rolling threes. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's one of the problems with the probability is, for I mean, especially bad for a new player, but it's always annoying where you get into it, the, the dice are just coming up, that you go around the table two times and never get anything. So yeah. you can't, even if you wanted to, even if people were willing to trade favorably, you have nothing to trade, you can't do anything. So yeah, I agree. It's it's not a horrible game, but there are better new gateway games these days. Yeah, that's right. Sacred cows, there are none here on Strange Assembly. So here's the last thing that I have. Okay, so I really like the X-Men, and I have this, this sort of goal of kind of reading everything X-Men, and... I thought that Marvel Unlimited was going to be really handy for this. And at first, it was really great. So if you like all the Marvel comics, or just Marvel comics generally, I I would sort of strongly recommend (laughs) the Marvel Unlimited thing. Well, because it was just very handy. You can read things, read things, read things. The kind of impediment to me... I'm laughing because I know where this is going. Yes. The kind of impediment to me with comics is ultimately a value proposition it does not really take that long to read a comic book and although i as i've discussed in other contexts i am now in the part of my life where for some things i have more money than i have time and so i no longer think about a term a video game in terms of oh it's 120 hours to beat that game that's amazing i get 120 hours of play for my 50 dollars I'm now quite happy to be like, it's a really good game. It's a fantastic game. It costs 10 bucks or 15 bucks. And I can finish it in 15 minutes and and have a complete experience. Yeah. Well, I was going to say six hours. 15 minutes is a little much, but, or a little too far, too extreme. Yeah. A little, little down, but, but comics, I I could never go out. I could never go out and buy, I wouldn't buy actual comics. I'd buy trade paperbacks, but I could never buy those at full price because I just blow through them too quickly, and I'm like, what happened to my money? Yeah. No, I used to do that, too. Get a trade paperback, it'll last half an hour. Uh, yeah. I had the problem for a while where it'd be like, go to the bookstore with my parents, I buy a trade paperback, I finish it by the time we get home. <laughs> so, 
So, I, right, Marvel Unlimited works really well for me. That now it's just a time thing. I can sit there and I can start with number one and go all the way to whatever number it is. They eight trillion and seven. Well, it would be eight trillion and seven, but they've like restarted the. Yeah. They they stopped Uncanny at five hundred something, and then they. It seems like they rebooted the Marvel Universe twice or something like that in the last three years. Not the universe, but the comics. So, like, there's a number one, and then, like, within two years, everything's number one again. I mm. I don't know. I don't want to know. Please do not send me... Do not comment... You, I, you can, but do not feel obliged to comment on this, this <laughs> blog post about this episode to tell me what that is. I don't care. The problem is, for me, the read-off-line feature is is vital. And what the read-off-line lets you do is when you have this on your iDevice, you can download up to 12 episodes and just store them on the device and then read them without having to, to get back online. That's very handy for me. Even In a basic way, it means I don't have to sit there with like the wireless on because if you have an iPhone, you probably don't want to be downloading all that on your cell data. No. So it lets you turn your wireless on, download the 12 things, turn your wireless back off. Wireless is not killing your battery. You can go to work if you have, when you're on lunch, you can sit there and, and, and read a few episodes on lunch or, or whatever. And, and this worked great. But then my account has managed to do something where of those 12 slots, 11 of them have somehow been filled up, even though there's nothing in them. You saved something in them, there was an error, and now... It's gone. So if I look at my thing, it'll say I have one of 12 items selected for read offline. But if I try to save another one, it goes, oh, wait, no, you've already reached your limit. You already have 12. You can't add another one. I have contacted Marvel, the tech support people in every way possible, and they do not seem to be able to help me, even though this seems like it's an account setting. Because I, I, I uninstalled the app entirely and then reinstalled it entirely, so it should not be something with the app. It's something right. with the account, and they won't talk to you on the phone about the app. <laughs> I even tweeted that there's bloody account support, like tweets, you know, their Twitter. I'm like, come on, it's it's Twitter. Sometimes that makes you pay attention. Comcast, even Comcast, my terrible, awful cable company. Right, which is always hilarious when that happens. Responded to me when I... Well, the funny thing was my, my Twitter was something like, here I am online at McDonald's because Comcast's terrible. And so by the time they respond to me, you know, an hour later, I'm gone. I'm not, you know, sitting there right. online anymore. That was the time that they came... My internet was working. They came, and I'm on the corner lot, so they came to look at some switchbox thing in my yard broke the cable in the internet, and then left. And I called them, and they're like, oh, but we can only have service teams come out on the weekdays. I'm like, no, 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 you just had guys out here. Tell them to come back and fix it. Which, of course, they don't do. No. Uh, anyhow, I cannot express how much I would love to have choice when it came to high-speed internet. Maybe the other option would be just as bad, I think everyone would, yes. As Comcast, but I actually have lived somewhere before where there's competition in the market, and their customer service and prices actually improve. Who knew? Who knew Monopoly Power makes your product both more expensive and worse? What a shock. We totally didn't figure that out, like, what, 150 years ago or something? Anyhow, 
So, I'm just saying, if, if you <laughs> work for if, if you work for Marvel or know someone who works for Marvel or have someone, I what are you doing listening to this podcast? I literally I sent these people an email saying if you if you fix my account, I am sitting here waiting with my credit card to pay you money to sign up for an for like a year long subscription of your service. If you will just fix my account, and they can't fix my account, it's it's driving me crazy. So anybody out there work at Marvel, come on, come on, send me an email, fix it, please. Okay, that was my wine of the night. Do you have any anything you'd like to make our our listeners suffer through before we wrap it up? No, they've suffered through me enough. Okay. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming and internet comic book complaining podcast you can visit us at strangeassembly.com or subscribe to the podcast on itunes you can follow us on twitter we're at strangeassembly or visit us at facebook.com slash strangeassembly you can email me directly i'm chris at strangeassembly.com but until then for j earl i'm chris stevenson and this is strange assembly never stop gaming